Hello. Welcome. Oh, welcome to Let's Talk Club Management. It's episode two. Yes. I yes. I can't believe it. We already did one. We did. Now we're on two. <laughs> This week we're talking about governance confidential, so this should be a really fun episode. Um, my name is Kyle Jennings. I'm the manager for communications and student development here at CMAA, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Melissa Lowe, who can introduce herself. <laughs> I'm Melissa Lowe. I'm the senior director of communications and advocacy for CMAA, and um, we're excited to be back with you this edition. Um, first of all, we just want to thank everybody for the kind words we've gotten on our um, episode one. Um, yeah. It was really fun to put together, and uh, Kyle did a phenomenal task um, editing that and putting it together. So We've learned a lot in this process, and we're still learning. So bear with us in our first few episodes as we sort of learn the ropes of podcasting. We figured it couldn't be too hard given how many other people have figured it out. And we're smarter than your average bears. So, you know, we're getting there. We're Ab- getting there. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, it's just going to hopefully get better and better. Yes. So our topic today is governance and board relations, and we're calling this episode Governance Confidential. Um, you know, based on the research that we've done with members, uh, more than a third of our members, about 35% ranked disconnected or uneducated board of directors members as one of their top five professional challenges. So our goal is to really to tackle this topic head on um, and really talk to experienced managers about this perennial challenge. Because when we talk to managers, it comes up again and again. It comes up up in committee discussions. It comes up at our conferences. It comes up on our um, LinkedIn discussion group. So, you know, we know that this is probably just the first of many governance (laughs) confidentials to address this topic because it's a pretty expansive, multifaceted topic. Yes, and everyone has a story. So, (laughs) you know, it's not just board relations, it's elections management, it's volunteer management. Um, So, we're really excited uh, to have our first guest um, on this topic. Um, Mac Niven, MCM CCE, has been a general. Uh, club general manager for 28 years, and previous to that, he had 12 years of experience in restaurants. Uh, Mac has an undergraduate degree in finance. He's attained a Master of Arts in Educational Psychology in 2016 with an emphasis on motivation, and is currently in his third semester working on a Master of Science in Marketing with a focus on digital media, all from the University of Alabama. In 2017, Mac was awarded the Master Club Manager designation with the monograph Fostering strong working relationships between the GM, COO, and club directors. He's done a lot of research in this area of board governance and, and board relations. He's served as the president of the Alabama chapter of CMAA. And Mac has created Niven Research, a website to share his published papers, articles, and topics of research. His current research is on micromanagement. Mac seems uniquely qualified to be our first guest to talk about governance. So without further ado, here's Mac Niven. First of all, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, We're so excited to have your perspective on this topic and uh, certainly with your experience with the the MCM project that um, you're you're very uh, very knowledgeable on this topic. Um, So we'll kind of dive right into our questions. What is it that you think um, about governance that makes it so difficult for club management professionals? 
Well, first of all, let me tell you that I'm, that I'm absolutely honored that you asked me to talk about these issues here. And I also appreciate the fact you gave me such an easy question right off the bat. Thanks so much for that. <laughs> absolutely. I think, that, I think that history has a lot to do with uh, the difficulty. For decades, managers have been considered glorified maitre d's, and I think that that carries forward. I've got a very good friend of mine in upstate New York who's a great, great club um, member. I've known him since high school. And he was telling me about a new manager he got and how excited he was about the guy, and the guy was great. He was just a great manager. I said, well, hey, why is that? He said, well, hey, he said, he knows me. He gets my drinks for me. He's great. I said, well, that's interesting, and it is part of our job. But I think another part of the difficulty is the misunderstanding about what the GM is supposed to be doing. And I think that we are promoting the GMCO concept when in reality, very few clubs are actually maintaining that model. I think that the difficulty itself stems from three kind of big-picture elements, the first of which I think is that directors actually understanding the complex nature of the club governance. You know, I think they step into their roles thinking it's just another day at the office, and unfortunately it's not their office. I think there's a big challenge of, for them of bossing a person who will, you know, most likely and should be, far more expert in the business than themselves. And I think that they're unfamiliar with that, and that causes them some, some discomfort. You know, normally they hire somebody who's bright and energetic and they feel good because, hey, that, that director knows his own business, and therefore it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a self-worth enhancement. It's a good thing. But in the other way, when, when you've got someone who works for you and you really don't know the business and they're you know, light years ahead of you, it could be uh, uncomfortable for you. Another big issue, I think, is that the peer pressure is different than what they've ever experienced. I think directors step into the role thinking it's going to be like cheers, everybody knows their name and they love them, and holy cow, that's not the case. I don't care whether he was a CEO, that person was a COO of uh, CEO or COO of Coca-Cola or Exxon, you know, that young gun who's playing golf and has a bad green is going to jump all over about it, and that's, that's unnerving for them as well. You know, I think in their own business, they've got clear lines for their mission. They know what they're supposed to be doing. Whereas in the club business, you know, the average club has 450 members. And if, if our business is, is about um, adding member value, they've got 450 members with different values, and it's going to be confusing for them. That makes it uncomfortable for the director. So I think that's a bit of an issue. I think the, extra, the second element of this, and, and I mean all respect when I say this, is the trustworthiness of the directors. And what I mean by that is that, you know, directors for the most part are really good, caring people with the best of intentions. And even though those, those intentions are good, they can be mm, become swayed and untrustworthy through the group dynamic. And the group means, as directors, they're in a group. Managers are in another group, and usually it's a group of one. Right. The director, you know, who's, who's in that group can also be easily swayed by that, what I call the expansive representation of one. That's that one individual who has a strong influence over this, this director for whatever reason. could be the, just the director needs to impress him. It could be who knows what the reason is, but that will happen almost across the board. Unfortunately, regardless how good a manager's relationship is with the president, you know, that president could get swayed by that single individual, and that, that's a bit of a big problem. 
I think the third element deals with the managers themselves and the manager's understanding of all that that I just said, because that's going on, that's just grinding in the background, and then also their actual understanding of the role that they're supposed to play and the role under which they were hired. Now, the problem is understanding the role that you're supposed to play. That's a big deal, big difference. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the same role from which you were hired. Yeah, I think... You get all that? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Was, we were just ruminating. <laughs> I was going to say, I was just thinking about that. that third, I really, I think that there's so much value in your, in your three points. Um, what do you wish you had known starting out as a manager? What, what advice would you give to anybody stepping into their first GM role um, in terms of, of how to establish yourself with your board of directors and, and really be successful? I think the biggest issue goes back to something we touched on before, which was understanding the model under which you actually are working. And I think there, there are basically two types of clubs, really, across the board. Uh, there are clubs with leadership and clubs without leadership. I think within the club leadership model, there are, there are three types of those clubs. You know, the first club, which is the one we, we hardly even know about, and that's the club with the brand. The brand is so strong that um, uh, it, it carries itself. Uh, the brand refers to the very few clubs that we hardly even know about. You know, you don't find them on the Internet. The membership is so exceptionally exclusive that people really don't even know about it. Right. The club has such a loyal following of membership that they don't even need professional leadership. The club operates basically by itself. It's the nature of the people. It'll be sustained for absolutely ever. The managers are really facilitators, and, what, and if they come in there, they understand the dynamic. They can be there forever. And I know a lot of mem- a number of members, managers who are in those clubs, and that's exactly what it is. They've been there for, for decades. I think the second type, which is also uh, very successful, and that's the one that's, that's led by the club, the club leaders themselves, the president and the committees. Leadership refers to those clubs that have very active committees and a strong president. But the key factor is they do have leadership. And that leadership generally comes from the folks who have been in place for years. It's not an annual rotation. The president has been probably a president for, for maybe even decades, you know, certainly five to ten years. They all take their roles very, very seriously, and they don't bring personal agendas. It's all about the club. They spend their time at the club, and they pay particular attention to their own areas of responsibility. I think the manager in these, in these clubs tends to be more of an executive assistant. That's the person who really helps the club leaders make the decisions. The club manager probably is not uh, leading the ship, so to speak. He's helping the leaders be successful. And then the third concept is the one we all know and love, which is a GMCO concept. And the successful clubs under that model have somehow or other gotten the club itself to buy into the process and to hold it as, as critical to their success. By doing that, they've got enough strong, influential members who, who get it. They understand that process and, and that they can take the detractors and sort of stymie them before they get any kind of traction and can, can cause any kind of damage. So the too bad part is that even under that model, uh, managers you know, have a tenure challenge because over time, sometimes those uh, leaders will change and the personal agendas will start coming forward, and then the dynamic changes and then often it leads to a change in management. There are a number of members that we all know over the course of the decades who have fallen under that, under that gun. It's, it's very unfortunate, but that also is part of the business. So even though it could be a strong model to begin with, it can deteriorate over time almost regardless of what you do. 
And then the other clubs are the clubs without any leadership. And unfortunately, I believe that's the majority of the clubs out there that, that have that, uh, the rotation, the annual presidential rotation, the contested elections. It's a kind of a free-for-all. There's not a lot of con- continuity. Uh, the clubs will advertise the GMCO leadership. They'll really want to, to fall, fall behind it, but then they really can't. They just, they just can't understand how it's supposed to work. And these are the clubs that end up having those uh, two- and three-year turns on, their, uh, on their, their managers. Now, the second piece of advice is that creating positive relationships, and this is, this is pretty critical. Other than understanding the club, you know, creating those relationships is really, really important. You've got to figure out who the real club influencers are. You've got to find them, and you've got to plan ahead and meet with them individually. And when you meet with them, you're not really bringing up issues. You're just creating that relationship. You're trying to be very welcoming. Likeability is so huge in our business. You've got to allow them to bring up anything they want. You, know, you, don't, you want to guide the conversation, but you want to let the first few visits just about them, what they like, what they're, why they're at the club, the direction they see the club going in, high-level discussion, you know, talk about their family. You want your first interaction to be just on a social uh, relationship building. You know, don't bring up a problem. If they have a problem, then help them with it, but don't bring up problems over, on your first few uh, uh, visits. I think the third way, the third piece of advice, uh, which is for, for longevity, is you've got to plan ahead. Great managers understand that. They understand when to dig in and when to retreat, as in mm, you don't dig in. If you have to dig in, you're in trouble. If you're having a conflict with, with a, a leader of the club and you're digging your heels in, that's probably not going to be too good. You have to think ahead and when you try and change things, it's, it's critical that you spend your time uh, planting the seeds to get other people to understand what's going on. You have to really think way ahead because it's so complex. For most of us, in order to get anything done, you've got to start small, create your, your group, of, of um, people who understand what's going on, you've got to have your advocates, and then you move the process forward. You want to always allow the advocate to be the one who brings up the ideas. That's the best way to do things is when you have that buy-in, you have your advocates who can get into the group because they are in the group and can kind of sell a process to someone else. You've got to have advocates. Sure, yeah. Then it becomes like more of a grassroots effort instead of you trying to make all those changes yourself as, as, that man, as the uh, GM. I think it's really important. Uh, that's absolutely correct. I believe that's, that's absolutely correct. Yeah. I think building those, like, I really loved your point about building relationships. I think um, that's something that can be applied even outside of our conversation on club governance. I think that that's applicable to anyone. Um, if you want to be effective in a job that you're doing, spending time and getting to know the people that you're going to have to work with and work for um, is so critical. So that's a really great piece of advice. Well, absolutely. It also goes to the staff as well. you got to know your staff. Absolutely. So that kind of leads us into our next question. Um, what have you found uh, to be the most challenging types of club directors? I know you talked about different types of leadership models within the clubs, but what types of directors themselves have posed a challenge? Not a loaded question at all. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, actually, actually, it's a little more simple than you might think. You know, in the, in the MCM monograph I did, I had a, a group of different uh, categories for what the professional, what they did, you know, attorneys, doctors, entrepreneurs, all that kind of stuff. But really what it boils down to is the ones that cause, that are challenging are those with the personal agendas, the ones that come in that have to get something done. 
then there's a variety of reasons. They, they actually see a problem that has to be solved, or they just want to make their mark. You know, someone who's retired too early or, for heaven's sake, has been displaced themselves and has something to prove to somebody, oftentimes themselves, can be a problem. In other words, they're going to be the ones that want to leave their mark and they want to micromanage the club because they have something to prove to somebody. So the ones that are, are uh, agenda-driven, they tend to, to also be easily swayed by that one person. And that gets you into the problem of this groupthink dilemma, which I think is also huge in the club. When you, A lot of business gets done outside of formal meetings, at dinners, at cocktail hours, at things of those, you know, so, so a manager can have decisions being made that they don't even know are being made and have no awareness of what in the world's going on. I think that's, uh, that's a big problem. The groupthink dilemma is a big, a big, big problem. I think um, that's another excellent point, the idea of um, business being done outside of, say, a board meeting or a committee meeting, if, you know, members are at dinner or on the golf course or whatever. I think that goes back to what you said earlier about um, a manager needing to be cognizant of the role in which they're stepping into when they come to a club but to also be cognizant of the fact that those conversations take place with you or without you. So just to be aware of that. They, they yeah. absolutely do. And what happens is, is that information gets disseminated. I mean, information is the currency of a club. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that information isn't always necessarily true. It could be anything. <laughs> and, and, you know, enough stories told enough times, it becomes true. That's right. a big problem. Yep. Exactly. So what, what are your suggestions in terms of, of combating this to helping to the manage these personalities and the, and the board dynamics um, that, that you've talked about? Yeah, managing personalities, you kind of have to be careful. The club agendas tend to be driven you know, by emotions and peer pressure. So logic is not going to will out when you come on managing, trying to manage personalities. It's, it's also very, very difficult to understand and try and figure out why someone is doing what they're doing. When a director comes forward with, with some kind of an idea, sometimes that idea is not necessarily the genesis of, of getting it done. There could be who knows what's behind that idea, and that's very, very difficult. I think trying to manage personalities is, is gonna, could lead to trouble because if you, if you have a misstep or misread that, that um, personality, it's, yeah, it can be curtains. You know, once you embarrass or offend a leader, you're done. They take that very, very personally, and it's not a good thing. I don't know any manager who's ever come out of that well. I mean, at no point should anybody take a director on directly. You know, managers always need the surrogates to help move the chains along. It's, it's, it's like I was talking with a, a good friend the other day. It's, it's jujitsu. You've got to have them going in the right direction, and you to move them along. You know, trying to change their minds. Is very very difficult to do, but I would suggest in the long run that the that the managing the personalities and the dynamics is simply done by being a good character and a good person. You know, if you maintain a standard of being a great listener and realizing the need for empathy, you know that'll go a long way in the long run because it goes back to this likability issue. So I think those are probably the the issues on, on managing personalities. One, that's tough to manage personalities, but two, is just trying to be a good person, listen to them understand where they're coming from and and help the decision be moved down the pipe for sure and again ties back to that idea of those building relationships 
you're a good listener and you have a positive relationship with those people, then I think it'll be a lot easier to sort of work the politics of, you know, managing some of those personalities. It doesn't feel like you're managing them. It feels like you're having a conversation instead. Well, absolutely. When you can get to that level, you're, you're, you're on the right road, and that's exactly right. That's the goal. <laughs> yep, that's the goal. One of the avenues, um, you know, we, we've been exploring and, and certainly um, in offerings have increased is, is really the element of board education. Um, what, do you, what role do you think board education, how can that really be beneficial to improving governance and improving those um, relationships? I think the issue is that most directors really don't want to be educated. You know, they want to either fulfill the agenda that they've uh, they've decided for themselves or they actually want to serve in the board. But, you know, their time and energy is, is really quite limited. It, it is a club. It's not their job. Um, so I think really educating is going to be difficult. I think that the most directors will spend a couple of hours per month in meetings and, and otherwise doing things, but they really don't work on club issues. However, they'll consider that idle bar chatter or that talk over the club dinner that, you know, works for the club when really it, it, it isn't. You know, what the CMA is doing and what a lot of uh, consultants are doing, you're putting out these best practices and things, and I think that's a great thing. That's, that's planting the seeds. It's like, you know, billboard marketing. It lets the directors know what the proper course is. But I've also been party to many of those uh, board sessions and to a time – the, the, the directors have made no change in their attitudes once the, the, the consultants left. I think the education needs to be with the manager, and I think rather than trying to force-feed best practices on the directors, the manager is the one who needs to understand these things that we're talking about now, that the natural tendency of club leaders, the, the natural tendency that they're going to be uncomfortable with their roles because they don't understand their roles. And that's, the, that's a big deal. You know, you've got to be able to recognize what attention needs to be paid to them and see the signs of problems and then know how to correct them. So I think that the education needs to be for the managers, but in a different realm, not just about preaching to the choir that we have best practices because we all get it. We all love to be able to operate underneath, uh, you know, under that, under that umbrella. It's helping managers raise their own level of emotional intelligence so they can see these things that are happening. You know, some managers have that gift. Of, of a high EQ, but I think most don't. I think that's the biggest deal. As far as, as education goes, um, you know, educating the directors is a good thing to keep in the back of their mind. I'm just not sure how much of that really affects them moving forward. Like I said, it's, it's that jujitsu attitude. <laughs> if they want to be educated, they probably will be, and there's almost nothing else you need to do to help them. I think it's more along the lines of, of, of educating the actual manager on you know, these problems that are endemic. I mean, they've been going on for decades, and they're still going on. No matter what we say, they're still going on. Yeah, I mean, I think that's th- this is the perennial challenge. You know, um, one of the, the issues that we hear a lot is co- is handling that conflict, not necessarily individual manager to manager, but within the board, you know, as the, the board fractures and how to deal kind of with the conflict of when the, the manager falls in the middle um, of those of that kind yep. of conflict. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, first of all, if the conflicts with the manager and the board, then the manager just needs to go ahead and prepare the resume because it's about over with. <laughs> right. if, they, if they want to try and retain their job, they need to understand 
you know, what the issue is. And then they need to negotiate a positive resolution. A win, it's not even a win-win. It's just a director win. Yeah. If the director doesn't win, you're going to lose. That's just <laughs> right. the way it's going to work. I, I'm sorry to say that. That's just that's the fact of the game. That's the way it goes. Now, if the conflict is with the directors and, you know, progress is stalled and you've got the four- and five-hour meetings where nothing gets done, the manager has to be creative enough and sneaky enough to, to get the advocates who will say, yeah, this is the way it's supposed to go. Now, your problem is, and I've been in these situations before, to a person, the board will say, we do not want five-hour meetings. We can't stand this, this uh, aggressive nature in the meetings. We don't like it. And yet, meeting after meeting, it's the same way. So the manager has to use the rules of influence, build the team of advocates who understand the problem, then set out the goals for them, say, look, here's how we really need to change this. But you've got to start small. Start with that advocate who buys into the program you're selling and then get them to expand out so eventually you can get some kind of traction and, and then get the, the other members to abide by it. A manager can't do it himself. As we've already stated here before, you stated very eloquently that, you know, it, it takes it takes help. You've got to have someone else to help you influence that group. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> so, you know, looking at the trend and looking at um, really trends in governance, what would you say, um, how do you engage the board for the long-term betterment of the club? Well, I think you've got a couple of them. One is if the club is successful, then you simply continue that successful process. And that means stay with the good, good, consistent board orientations, you know, continue to visit with the leaders, maintain those relationships, uh, keep them abreast. Communication is huge. I've talked to a lot of managers successful, and they're always communicating to their directors, letting them know what's going on. Now, if you're a club without the strong leadership, it's a tough road, and it's hard, and there's a lot of pitfalls. You've got to go back to the influence changing there. You've got to find your advocates. You've got to inform them on the merits of the process. You've got to have them socialize the ideas with the other folks. And then once you get that scale, you can go ahead and start implementing your best practices. But you've got, you also, a key to this whole thing is that eventually you've got to get the president on board. You've got to be an advocate. That's, that's the only way you can do it, change things long term. You've got to have the president. You've got to have a, a, a consensus and a, and a group of advocates to help you. That's awesome. I, I was going to say, I, I, we, we both, I think, have gotten so much out of um, response. I was going to say. <laughs> Melissa's paper is I've made, notes. I've made, like, notes <laughs> after notes. I'm a note taker. I can't help it. But um, I, I was going to say, there's been so many really good nuggets of information in here that um, I hope that I know that all of our members will really appreciate hearing. Um, and I know that um, your MCM is also available on the website for people to read. So I encourage um, our members to... Uh, to seek that out on cma.org. And I hope that you'll um, be happy to come back and talk with us again about governance. Uh, this won't be our first, this won't be the only time I think we tackled this topic. Um, so we hope that you'll have the opportunity to come back and chat with us again. I'd be happy to. I appreciate your asking me and it's, it was a pleasure. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, Caitlin Allen is the events coordinator for the Carriage Club in Kansas City, Missouri. She was also recently honored as a 2018 recipient of the Club Foundation's Kendall Scholarship. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, um, she was also a student member of CMA at Kansas State University, where she was also honored with the Joe Purdue Scholarship. Um, her 2018 Idea Fair submission was a blue ribbon winner in the category of Club Dining Room Promotion. So thank you so much, Caitlin, for joining us. We really appreciate hey, it. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Awesome. So 
take us through the idea. Where did it come from? Um, how did you put it together? And, and how did it become a reality? Sure. We, our club, Carriage Club, is really excited about this idea. Uh, first and foremost, it came, because it came from one of our food line committee chairmen. Uh, so it came from the members themselves. They said, he said, I have this idea. How can we make it work here? And we sort of thought through the uh, the purpose of the idea and how it might impact our dining promotions and, and revenues in our formal dining outlet, which needed a little bit of love during our slower season. And so one of our chairmen came up with this idea and asked us how we could do it. And so we thought through it. It was continued to be discussed in meetings. They ran through some potential profit loss numbers and decided it was going to be easy enough, so we thought we would try it. We thought the numbers would be receptive. Implementation was, was super, super easy. It was um, The only cost associated was creating the actual physical coin and then the, the prize box items, uh, which then, of course, we had to figure, you know, if somebody comes in for a complimentary wine flay, what would, what would the cost of that be? And... Uh, but what might be, they be spending when they come in and dine off of our menu. And so we decided that just the sheer act of getting them in the door was going to be enough to, to create that profit. We wanted to drive some business and excitement and attention to the dining room. Cool. Great. So t- kind of take us through the promotion. How did it work? Um, I know you kind of you mailed out the coins to the members. Yeah. Yeah, so we did it in two stages. So we had a a coin that we actually sent by mail to all of our members. Every single member at the club got one in their mailbox, and they were invited to bring that into our chop house formal dining room and turn that coin in for they could reach into our box of prizes, and they were all um, a certificate of some sort for a complimentary appetizer or dessert. I mean, some as simple as a bottle of wine or an entree, but then they were – uh, there were different tiers. You could have a chef's table dinner, a custom menu from for chef from chef for up to six people. One of them was even a complimentary month of your membership dues waived. And so there was all sorts, massages, tennis lessons. And so uh, the idea was the members would get to the dining room once to turn in the coin and get their prize, and then they would in turn have to come back a second time to redeem their prize. And then we did that whole thing about four or five months after. So it kind of went in two waves. So ideally we were capturing them four times. And um, the hope was that we would we would get good exposure to the club. So our, our service staff, of course, had to be well-trained and prepared, not only with the execution of this coin and prize concept, but also to make sure that they were reflecting the club service well enough to get people excited about coming back again and again and again. This kind of came on the heels of our brand-new executive chef. And so he was able to to really show off his his new menu and his style, and the members just loved it. So, um, were there any implementation challenges to getting this going? You see, you talked about it starting with the members, kind of going through committee. Feasibility was considered. Um, you know, were there were there any um, challenges to to making that work? Other than just making sure that our service staff and our culinary staff was was prepared for this new influx of, of you know, not, not your member who comes every single Friday night and orders the same thing, but newer faces in that dining outlet that they had to make sure that they are familiar with them and their dietary preferences and made sure the service was exceptional. Other than that, I mean, truthfully, it was very, very easy to implement. And so what was the return to the club? 
The return to the club was a drive of new attention and excitement to that outlet. And we, we knew that members would be excited and they would continue to use the dining room, which we've seen. We've seen an, an uptick in attendance in, in that area. Of course, it's seasonal and, and flexible in that sense. Usually at this time of year, it's busier on the pool deck. But uh, we definitely saw an, an increase in business up there. What we didn't think we were going to see that we're kind of excited about is, is folks who are so excited about chefs style that they're actually booking private events, which is, that's where I kind of come in. Uh, they're asking if they can have, you know, we really, really love this new menu item chef was doing. I have a friend who's wanting to have her rehearsal dinner here. Uh, let's, let's see what we can do. And these are people who might not have previously considered us before this, this promotion and this exposure to the club that we, we fielded for them. Cool. So it sounds like this promotion has been, I mean, like you said, there were no real challenges to it, and it just seems like it's just been a positive outcome all around. Yeah, yeah. I can't really think of any of any drawbacks other than, you know, if somebody comes in and has a free complimentary wine flight and they come in and that's all they get and then they leave. But most people will stay for at least a few appetizers before before headed out for the evening. But it's it's something that's very simple and cost-effective and and anyone can do it in their club. Cool. Great. Well, thank you for sharing the idea. It sounds great. And it sounds like it's easy, you know, from, from your perspective and, and from the, you know, the submission that it's really easy to implement. Yeah. It seems like it could be easily adaptable yeah. um, to any club. Yeah. That's that has... the hope. Yeah. That's cool. That's the hope. <laughs> well, good. Well, cool. Well, I hope thank that you. was informative. Yeah. That's I think perfect. it was great. Thank you, Caitlin. We really yeah. appreciate it. Okay, guys, um, now on to association news and the cool things that we're doing here. So we've invited our colleagues, one of whom is our boss, for anyone who's keeping track, uh, to join us today to talk about the Fellows Program. Uh, veteran CMA team members, Senior Vice President Membership Engagement, Ken Pasquale, and Senior Vice President Professional Development, Jason Koningsfeld, PhD. <laughs> Kim and Jason are both devoted college football fans, proudly repping for Clemson and Auburn, so... You can't go wrong when you say go Tigers. That's true. true. Although it's not football season quite yet. 90 days till kickoff. Not that anyone's counting. No, no not at all. Not at all. Not, not at all. all. All right, so we wanted to just get a brief overview of the Fellows Program uh, just to help people get a little bit more familiar with it since it is something new for us. So can you guys quick run through the goals of the Fellows Program for us? Well, I think this came out of... Uh, I don't want to say it's a missing link, but it's a missing component to CMAA's awards and recognition programs. Um, it's kind of our official Hall of Fame, and uh, it's been a long time coming. There's a great many CMAA members out there who are doing wonderful things um, in their craft and for the association, and this is a way to recognize them and then have them keep giving back to the industry that they so love. These are the, the blue blood bleeding... CMA members that we're, we're looking to attract to this program. What else? I think that's great. That's, that sums it up. It's really excited to have finally have a Hall of Fame and recognize those people accordingly with a good event um, starting next year. So we could, Nashville's going to be a fun time when we announce who, who's going to be the first batch for sure. So. Right. It's more bleed blue, not blue yeah, blood. Now we got it. Now we got it. Okay. <laughs> bleed blue. <laughs> I was going to say, we don't want to perpetuate stereotypes. Negative. 
Um, so then what are the criteria for becoming a fellow? So it, it, it is to currently attract actively working professional members of CMAA. That is the one criteria. Um, and there's a nomination process that's currently going on. So anyone really can nominate a CMAA fellow who hits that criteria and the things that they'll be looking for when it goes through the selection and judging process will, you know, be, like I said, a, a very attractive resume, things that they've been doing for the organization, things they've been doing for club management. Contributions, um, idea fair entries. Writing. Um, giving back to the association uh, and to the club community as, as a whole. At large, yep. Who is not eligible to be a fellow? question. So um, the selection committee, which I'm sorry, let me back up one second. There was a task force created um, about 12 months ago, yeah, and we've looked at this heavily. I mean, they, they've, they've thought long and hard about how they would like to do this. I think there's about 10 CMA members on the fellows task force, and now this task force is being switched to the selection committee. Um, it is chaired by Damon DiOrio, CCM, CCE, and um, what, they, what they talked about uh, was a, an active working club manager right now, so not no retired members of CMAA are eligible um, currently. And then, um, as we mentioned earlier, Jason and I, it's, it's, a, it's to recognize living club managers. So, unfortunately, this is not a posthumously awarded um, recognition as of yet. And the... In addition, we, the selection committee came up with the rule that, they, that nobody on the selection committee will be eligible for at least three years until after they remove they remove themselves so off the selection off. committee. Yeah, sure. and and the board of directors same way. So same. the board you have to come off the board for a period of three years in order CMA to be eligible. CMA national board. Yeah. Right. Cool. Um, so speaking of the selection committee, who comprises that group? You mentioned Damon is chairing the group. Who else is on that? Joe Cran, <laughs> Rob Romanato, um, uh, Janine Budzius. Kim, help me out. <laughs> I'm trying. You, you should have given us this, this opportunity to pull up a list. Krista Evans, right? Krista Evans. Um, ooh. Man, we're not, we are not forgetting all, of, all the great work everybody's contributed. Susan Shankle is one of those. Uh, no. Well, See, we got two task force going right now. I'm confusing all of them. But you know what? You ask the next question. I'm going to look this sure, up. No, John Dorman. Truth. We can also post a link to the list once we um, yeah. once we post the, yeah. the link. The, the the group will be posted on on the website too. It's it's all transparent. Um, Bobby Crafasti and um, Bob James are the national board members who are serving. On the, um, just on the so that there's some continuity sure. between the the board, board and, and, task and the task force. Great, great. And our final question, the most important. When are nominations due, and where can people find the information to nominate someone if they're interested? So right now, um, all of the information is on CMA's webpage, and there are links that will go directly to that. Um, I think um, you all, lovely people, just ran something in Outlook, and you're doing nice things on social media for us. We thank you for that. 
Um, but everything is due by June 30th. Nominations are due by June 30th. And it's a critical class for us because obviously we want we want to show some some neat people ones that want to give back because that they'll they'll be a part of the process moving forward. So because we'll more than likely we'll start putting the fellows on the selection committee as well. So the, this first class is really really critical. Um, and we've got some great nominations, great nominations that have already so come far. in. Very so. exciting. But as Kim says, the whole thing's online, and, and our awesome communications team is, has been putting that out in front of the membership. So we've, we've seen a, a, a lot of uh, applications come in to date, and mm-hmm. I think we'll keep pushing to get a couple more before the, yeah. the, the 30th deadline. But if there's any questions, I mean, Jason and I are certainly points on staff, and we're happy to help. Awesome. It's been a fun process. Jeff, Kim, and I are working together on this one, so... Watch and look at what other organizations and other associations are doing, and how we can not only replicate that but actually make ours a little bit more um, CMA atized and better, I guess. <laughs> Such a good word. <laughs> CMA atized. I think we've used that for a long time. We should probably add that to the style guide. We should. <laughs> oh, it sounds good. Awesome. Well, Who would ever thought I would have added <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Words are hard. <laughs> Well, thank you both for joining us today. We really appreciate it, and we look forward to seeing who our first class of fellows are. Us too. Yeah. We're excited. Thank, thank you, you very, much. very much. So let's uh, change directions. So we talked about the CMA Fellows Program, and we're going to talk about some more exciting internal change here at CMA, our new association management system software, software system, I don't know SS. Yep, that's the supercomputer database that helps our CMA team do their job better. And um, another amazing CMA veteran team member, um, we finally got him to sit down with us today, Senior Vice President of IT, Chris Valo. Snaps for Chris. Just a few minutes. So a little bit about Chris in his spare time. He's a sailing and hockey enthusiast, so go Caps. The first question I have for you is, how do you feel about the Stanley Cup this year? Uh, very excited. Congratulations <laughs> to the hometown team <laughs> on their epic win. He's sad that he didn't get to go to the parade, though. Aww. Yeah, I did not make the parade. Aww. Well, but that's... next time, <laughs> when no. we celebrate our back-to-back championships next go. year, <laughs> I'm going to the parade. That's it. We're forecasting this. We'll have you on again this time next year. And uh... and next year, you won't be doing an AMS <laughs> changeover, so hopefully you'll have time. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> so, the so, AMS. Can you tell us about the project and sort of the process to how we got uh, to this point? I would be happy to. Cool. Uh, thank you for having me. <laughs> um, so I'll set it up a little bit. So the AMS, um, and it's uh, whether you want to refer to the association management software or system, uh, it's sort of interchangeable. But the AMS is basically the primary software that the association uses for everything um, from managing members and knowing where our members are, um, including other audiences. Um, We use it for event registrations, any sort of um, online transactions, um, purchases, um, and very importantly, also to house any certification credits related to any of our certification programs, of which there are more than you would think. Um, (laughs) So it's not just the CCM and the Honor Society and MCM, but... um, that also would include things related to the MID program, um, 
things that are um, housed within CMA University as well. Um, and so that's to give you a, a peek into what we're doing. Um, we are trying to cover all of those areas. And so it's been a long time coming. Um, actually, we started the process even before we officially started the process about a year ago um, and so we have been waiting patiently and anxious to get started and um, as I keep saying we are not at the end we are at a major milestone at go live um, coming up in a couple weeks and at that point um, we will uh, start on new projects um, and that's really more of a beginning than an end so sure I think there will be a learning curve to say the least on both ends, not just for us in the building, but um, for the members, because they'll see changes too. Can you talk a little bit about what those changes will be? Sure. So there's, um, like you mentioned, there's a lot happening for the staff. So the staff will be, has been through training, but once it's here live, um, obviously, and it's quote-unquote real, um, <laughs> there will be some adjustments, and, um, and all of that will be happening internally. Externally, for members and other audiences, um, the, the primary changes that they'll see uh, on the website are how they log in, first of all, and so anytime any other resources or content that they're trying to access will all be based on login. Um, so we're going to encourage everyone, uh, first and foremost, to come log in the first time because that's when you will set up your account um, and that will happen based on your primary email address. So the address that we use um, to send mail to you now is likely the address that you'll want to use. Um, and then beyond that, um, any content that, any static content that you access will remain the way it is. Um, but importantly, your certification credits, um, your, your credit history, your progress towards certification, all of that will, will change. Um, and we hope that we'll be adding um, some more detail to that that will make it more meaningful. Any event registrations will change quite a bit, um, and um, a popular resource um, is the online member directory. Um, that will have a new look and some uh, some different functionality to it. Uh, but those initially will be the things that most members um, recognize as having changed out of the gate. For sure. For sure. There's definitely, like, as we said, changes on our end, but it seems like in what I've played around in from the outward-facing side of it, it seems like it'll be a pretty um, easy thing for folks to get their heads wrapped around it. Uh, it's pretty intuitive and shouldn't scare anyone. It will look a lot different, but I think that'll be good. Yeah, we hope that it'll be pretty uh, self-explanatory um, as we get deeper into it. Um, you know, we'll be be tweaking things as we go um, and so there will certainly be more change to come but we think that um, at least initially um, it should be pretty straightforward um, but it does definitely open us up for some new opportunities and so we'll continue to uh, explore those and and uh, and work with people as as those happen yeah for sure um, you said a little bit about opportunities uh, that sort of leads us into our next question um, technology is ever-changing and it's very dynamic so I'm sure there are many people who are wondering what's next on our list of things to change or update beyond this AMS big chunk that we've been working on so what's what's next um, on your radar well I have 
19 things on my list. Um, That's now, all? This is... Uh, <laughs> Only. Yes, yes. Uh, I could probably name quite a few. Um, and we, while we've identified lots of things we'd like to, to get into, um, our next steps are to sit down and add some priority. Put, put some priority to those items. <laughs> put those items uh, in an order. <laughs> yes, that. Uh, so we'll we'll sit down. We've we've talked about ways that we can take um, networking and um, interaction. Yes, yeah. interaction. I had a <laughs> word that was right there waiting. I've been uh, But you know, we like we know that a big part of. Um, CMA is the networking that it allows or offers, and so we'd like to explore new ways to, to make that available to people online. Um, and so now that we've almost knocked out the first step, um, we have a lot of opportunity um, with an off-the-shelf product. Um, integrations already exist. Um, there are lots of other platforms that offer um, some real value, and so um, we want to bring that to CMA and um, um, because we don't have to build those things ourselves, there's lots of opportunity to, uh, to go in lots of different directions. But it's basically um, you know, putting together our technology initiatives with our association strategic plan and, and other initiatives. So it's, uh, while there's lots of neat, cool technology out there that we would love to play with, it's really about what is best for the association. Yeah, so where those things align. Right. Sure. Great. Well, that wraps up our questions for you, Chris. We appreciate you coming in and talking with us. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, well, that wraps us, it up for us this month. Um, thanks for listening once again. Uh, we look forward to hearing more feedback. Um, and we would really love to hear any ideas you all have for future episodes. Melissa and I are very creative humans, but sometimes we get stuck in a little box. So if you know of a manager who's doing great work, has a cool story, or something really interesting that you think would be valuable to hear, we would love to know about it, and we would love to have them on as a guest. So we will be back next month. Stay tuned. And until then, goodbye! Bye! Bye.